0: Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa, and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In the eleventh episode, we review how Africa's pioneering investors are bolstering the continent's private investment industry, with Carola Bose, Director and Head of Africa Funds, Equity and Mezzanine at DEG, Sruti Chandrasekhar, Head of SME Ventures at IFC, Papa Demba Diayo, Director General at FONCIS, Alison Klein, Manager, Private Equity at FMO, Paolo Martelli, Director of Investments at Findap Canada, Lynn Picard, Chief Private Equity Officer at AFDB, and Stephen Priestley, Managing Director, Funds and Capital Partnerships at CDC Group. This recording is part of AFCA's Uniting Against the Impacts of COVID-19 series, launched in April 2020. The session is moderated by Anita Tano Deleye, Head of Research and Training at AFCA.
1: I would like to start with um, looking at where uh, has the impact been felt, um, both in terms of sectors, Investment portfolio companies, fund managers, and in terms of geographies, what impacts already being felt, and um, what more are we anticipating to be felt in the coming future? And if I could ask um, Carola, please, to start with that.
2: Yeah. Um, hey. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Anitan. Before I start, I really like to thank uh, Africa for taking this really important. Um, initiative for the series and, and bringing t- together, uh, African uh, private equity space on, on the COVID-19 crisis. And, and frankly, I mean, I, I think we've all been hit quite unexpectedly, and to an extent also unprepared by this crisis. And frankly, as, as most of Europe is locked down as we speak, um, I've personally, and, and, and so has basically all of DG been working from home since weeks and, uh, You can actually see me in my um, home office here. And uh, yeah, basically what have we been doing over the past weeks? Um, I think we've done a lot of firefighting and we've done a lot of analysis uh, together with our GPs during the past three to four weeks. And as as, as most of you will know, uh, we're we're pretty large emerging markets, um, private equity investor with a portfolio of about $2 billion spread over um, all emerging markets and, and a bit more in in Africa actually and i make I try to make it short although this is my longest answer uh, and I want to point to four points so one is the effect that we're seeing in our private equity portfolio in Africa in um and that we're expecting on the um uh, one is on the valuation side so basically we've seen um, a crash in public markets of you know up to 40 percent. And we've seen the fastest crash since World War II, basically. So now what we can say, we know that private equity typically is less volatile and that it actually lags behind. So we can hope to see a more, much more dampened effect of uh, NIV reduction in our portfolio. But nevertheless, even if we hope that we do not yet have the visibility of what's going to happen in Africa because we don't know yet how the medical crisis will end up if there is even going to be a medical crisis. The effects that we are seeing right now is the effects of the lockdown, which are I mean tough enough especially in, in, in sectors, tourism, hospi- um, hospitality, etc., that you um, mentioned. So it will really depend on, on how the recession will turn to Africa, or maybe it won't turn. Our expectation actually is we will take a substantial hit and we're preparing to that, although we're also hoping we can catch up after a while. Um, Overall, and let me make, make that note on valuation, I feel that portfolio companies and African markets and our GPs may be even more vulnerable because they won't have the support systems at their fingertips as in, in some of the Western markets like we have in Germany. So that was point one, and I'll be faster on the others. Exits. Exits. Um, I mean, we were hoping for a very, very good year of exits in Africa and emerging markets, and we're now seeing hesitation, and we actually had to reduce our own exit schedule and hesitation we're seeing on the strategic um, uh, exit side and also on the public market, uh, the IPOs. Plus, we're seeing impact on exit valuations because all the valuations have come down, and I'm sure this will affect a lot of the GPs and, in turn, the, 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 the um, you know, their own exits and the valuations. Number three is fundraising. I mean, basically, I, I think we can already see fundraising has slowed down, especially from institutional and, and strategic investors. We're seeing a slowdown, especially, I guess, for emerging markets investment that includes Africa, but on the positive side, I can, I can speak for DG and I hope I can speak also for a lot of other DFIs. We definitely have not stopped our fund programs and we will invest through the crisis. Although, of course we, we we need to be very very cautious of, of all the effects and unknowns now i'm getting 2.4 of the effects and I, I think that's true for us as well as as for each gp and, and the whole continent i mean basically for us now it's really portfolio first um we focus on portfolio and um i'll keep it short now because i know we'll talk about it and i also want to end on a new business on a positive note we also believe there can be opportunity in this crisis, in, um, in, in defensive sectors that are becoming very attractive now and with the GPs and us, we may actually benefit from low valuations. So there is a certain hope that we may at all end up in some sort of positive um, and good vintage uh, situation um, uh, after the crisis.
3: Thanks, Anita. First.
1: And would you mind uh, telling us from the African perspective, being an African-based um, um, LP, what has, is your view in terms of the uh,
4: Yes. So for us, when we it, it first started in the developed economies in China, so the preoccupation was more on the value chain and how we were going to source our goods and how the companies were going to continue to function. And so the preoccupation was more from a... A provisioning point of view and how to continue to to do business, getting the supply that we need, and our companies getting the adequate working capital to be able to maintain their inventories. And so, as Carola said, uh, now uh, we believe that the lockdown is hurting the economy uh, more than the disease itself. And so at the level of valuation, so we see the same thing. We, as, as uh, the day that they close the airport, the in Abidjan, the economic activity slows down right away. That has a huge impact on the workforce and the informal workforce. Uh, the taxi driver, the hotels have to close so the business community stops uh, its activity. So the due diligence has to slow down. So for the fundraising, I suppose that the fund managers who are raising subsequent funds, it will be easier because we can do due diligence over video camera, but for those who don't know so much, visiting companies, this will have to be postponed. And so from right now, from an economic point of view, this is where we see the impact more than the disease itself. So I'm going to, you know, the evaluation, we align with the DEG, we believe there's going to be a certain impact. It will depend on how the disease or goes away as it is. It does. I maybe the measures that were taken were good because it doesn't seem to be expanding so much. Time will tell. And um, yeah. So from, the, from from an opportunity point of view, we believe that, uh, and we have seen the companies fintech in which we have invested. They were lucky enough to be able to go successfully to run a fund a fundraising for their cash burn. Uh, is good for a number of months. So we, we believe that there's an opportunity for FinTech companies that we see would be using those video cameras. And for Africa, it is an opportunity to uh, strengthen the healthcare sector, which uh, we've been working at for a number of years. But I believe that the message may be, you know, it may be coming in stronger at uh, this time. So again, uh, also the bank is looking at uh, being the counter cyclical as we did in the financial crisis of 2008. And our board is uh, discussing actively on, uh, you know, how much we're going to put, how it's going to be deployed. And so uh, we also see that there will be opportunities in the market for buying. So we're going to get hit on the exit, but we're going to benefit from the entering. And uh, so it, it, it all depends on how long this is going to last and how uh, the, the measures taken, as, uh, will, our efficient the measures taken, will be. Uh, so right now we are more preoccupied with our informal economy and and how how long they will be uh, locked out of work.
1: Great. Thank you for that. So on that point, I mean, you mentioned the point of the valuation. Alison, can I? So as um, Carola mentioned and Lin has also touched on that, we you know the valuations are being impacted. Um, the public market, obviously, being more liquid, have reflected it more. Uh, more quickly but how do we follow follow companies during this kind of period on the volatility and uncertainty we currently
5: have yeah thank you anitan i think the the volatility and uncertainty are the, the two things which make it most difficult and uh has recently issued a guidance note for uh 31st of march uh 2020 valuations, which i would highly recommend to everyone but i think there's a few things that that go into it one is is indeed the listed markets being volatile, but we can certainly expect that the, the overall directional motion is downwards. So we do expect a downwards um, motion in our valuations. Um, second one is: is how do we then apply that to to private companies? And one of the important highlights from the memo of the of the iPads is to avoid double dipping. So check check your comparables, but also check what kind of uh, numbers they're based on. So if you revise both the forecasts and the multiple, you might go too far. Um, on the other hand, they very rightly point out that, that multiples and overall uh, discount rates may be affected by the investor perception of uncertainty and risk. So if you're trying to value your company on, on sort of a regular basis, it's it's very difficult. It's, it's more an art than a science because there's no willing buyer, willing seller at this moment. Um, it's a time when probably a lot of transactions won't close. And I was actually surprised at the the low percentage of deals that the GPs reported had been um, discontinued at this point in time and how limited they thought the effect will be on the deployment pace of this crisis. Because what you often see happen is that sellers believe their company is worth as much as it ever was. And buyers think, yes, but the market is uncertain and trading is weak. Um, So, I'm going to value it less, so you you often will see actually quite a long disconnect in terms of actually closing transactions um, in a time like this. Mm -hmm. The the other thing I'd like to just highlight from the ISAF memo is that LPs are reliant on GP valuations for their own uh, reporting. So even though we we recognize the difficulty of coming up with the number um, and the instinct to say we don't know yet, we want to do a bit more work, uh, we do actually need your input in order to do our own reporting. So, you know, please do your best and please give us something. Um, we know that things are going to look bad for a while. We know this is an illiquid asset class where the fair values um, can be volatile because of the way they're come up with and that what really matters is cash in at the beginning and cash out at the end. Uh, but we do actually need to have uh, those interim financial statements uh, as as close as possible to the agreed timing.
1: Thank you for that, Alison. So back to um, both Lynn and Carola talked about some of the positioning that they're doing in terms of opportunities and defensive um, positions or opportunities that they're finding. Shruti, can you tell us a little bit about, or what advice would you give to GPs in terms of strategic changes they can make to their portfolios right now? Um, their existing portfolios, if they're not actually deploying capital right now?
6: of course uh anytime thanks for that and thanks for sharing the survey results As i was very surprised to see that more than half the gps who took the survey believe the the impact of this crisis would be less than three months i hope that their perceptions are true i think i'm a little bit more pessimistic than that in terms of sort of strategic changes uh that fund managers should be considering uh there are a number of things that fund managers can do in this, in, in this uh, timeframe. I think the first thing is assess what the potential impact could be, even if the numbers aren't already showing the impact, because in Africa, we've been uh, under, this is our third week of lockdown in, in Kenya and in other markets, it's a little bit similar. Uh, and the numbers of cases are still relatively lower than, uh, than Europe uh, or the United States. The, um, so I'd say the first thing is start is assess how much the impact could be uh, in a worst case scenario, and then figure out what are the actions that you can start taking now that could limit the impact of the headwinds, right? So for example, can you slow down hiring? If you had high uh, high impact growth plans, think twice before putting more money into it. Um, people aren't spending as much; everyone's locked down. So can you turn down marketing? Um, can you start thinking about the receivables credits you've been offering companies? So there are different sort of levers that you can start tweaking now on the cost side of the P&L to better prepare a company and reserve what cash they might have and prepare them for assuming uh, a slowing top line. In some businesses, it's very significant. So, so for example, we have a, a business in our portfolio that's in the juice uh, industry they they produce you know uh, fast moving packaged juices the uh, it's not viewed as an essential industry so their factories are closed so they're selling what inventory they have but once that runs out the revenue line will actually go to zero right so those are the things to think about what what is the company going to do then you're not going to fire all your staff you still have a lot of existing costs the second thing that I would recommend fund managers to sort of work with their portfolios on is set milestones right if you see a 10 percent drop in revenues, what is the action plan? If you see a 20% drop in revenues, what is the action plan? Uh, If you see an X percent increase in input prices, what is the action plan? So for every potential change that you can expect in your portfolio company, think about what action plan you can help the company implement. And then the last point that I I would uh, stress and stress very, very significantly with cash. If you're stuck in this, in this downturn with no cash, it's the toughest position to be. If you're a fund manager who has capital, then you have ways of supporting your portfolio. <clears throat> you, can, you, can, you can find ways to, to, to better financially support the company. But if you're a fund manager who's at the end of your investment period, you don't have a lot of capital to follow on, the outlook is very different. So I think it's very important to also think about where in the life of, of, of the fund you are and how you can potentially support your company. I don't know, kind if that was helpful, but that's sort of how we've been thinking about it for our portfolio. Julie, that was very helpful. And I'm sure they would
1: think there were a lot of very good points that I'm sure our audience will appreciate,
6: um, especially this
1: point about being at the, where you are in the life cycle as a fund manager. And on that point actually i wanted to explore um what kind of options do you think might be available right now for fund managers or portfolio companies that are in that situation where they may not have that much cash available right now what emergency funding options can, can they explore uh, are being made available um either at the government level or from the dfi community
3: um Thank you,
7: and uh, I don't know if you hear me very well. We, we got some issue earlier. I am able to hear you clearly. Okay, thank you. Um, so, um, thank you for your question. And uh, uh, we, as sponsors, we uh, we are at the same time a, a fund manager uh, for uh, the strategic fund of Senegal, which is very specific. But at the same time, we are LP in some funds uh, dealing with SME here in Senegal. And uh, So to answer your question, I think that there is two ways to do that. Uh, can the, the LP can put more capital or add a layer of depth to the fund? We have to help the fund managers have more tools or to to help the to help their portfolio companies um, go through this tough time. Um, the second one has to say it: um, um, the government. So uh, some governments are, are putting into place some economic and social initiatives, and for example, in Senegal, we have a 450 million euro uh, initiative from the government to help the private sector companies which are impacted, and the fund manager can be a support for those companies. They can go and try to really understand what are what is what what those initiatives are about and how the companies can take. Cats can take advantage of those, those existing initiatives and, and also be able to get um, some sort of financing. And uh, on their side, the, the fund managers, as we are doing right now, they should be uh, looking at putting more, some medicine in depth or some put options to enable their portfolio companies, some of them, to be able to go. To this difficult time, or to be able to raise their, their production, because there are some companies that are positively impacted. We don't we, we we do not only have negative impact on companies. There are some where we have some positive impact in, in this time.
1: Thanks, Papa, and um. Paolo, FinDev and FinDev, do you see, or what kind of emergency resources are, do you, see, are you making available or are you aware of that might be available? Um, we've talked about access to credit lines. Is that something that you see as potentially useful for fund managers to have access to or at the portfolio company level? Is leverage a good thing to be taking on right now?
8: Great. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Paolo Martelli from FinDev Canada. Um, so so a couple of a couple of comments. I think uh, first off, uh, this was mentioned by, by the last two speakers, but uh, you know at a company level, um, GP should be looking at uh, at all sorts of liquidity options. So it's not just sort of uh, additional capital um, you know from the fund but looking at raising um, access to credit at, at the company level. Uh, and this could be obviously pretty helpful. It depends on on where each, each company is at. Um, but but in all honesty, all companies are under stress in one form or another, um, and, and credit will be helpful to deal with liquidity. Um, I guess the, the liquidity problems that all are facing at, at this point in time. I think the, the important thing is that when you're looking at putting in additional either liquidity facilities, additional capital, whatever form it may be, it is for businesses businesses that are that are solvent, that are having liquidity issues. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, to put in additional money for companies that were already struggling uh, prior to this crisis um, unfolding, uh, and putting you know good money after that, so, uh, you know I would urge all of the uh, GPs to take a, a good hard look at, at the companies uh, before they start asking for either additional capital uh, or, or or whatever source of, of, of financing to make sure that it, it makes sense to, to put additional money into into these uh, into these cases. In terms of sources for for financing. Um, you know, I think it. You know, for for GBs, they should take a look at at their LPs to see uh, if they're interested in co-investments. A lot of us uh, here on this panel, a lot of our, our organizations, are interested in in, in co-investment rights. Uh, I think a lot of us are interested in in, in uh, extending financing to the region again in one form or another. Uh, I'm not sure if everyone's aware, but it was on the 6th of April. Uh, there was a statement that was put out by the by the DFIs of uh, of the U.S., Canada, and and of Europe. Uh, basically saying that you know everyone is working together, we're working with enhanced cooperation and we're trying to pool resources to continue to provide liquidity uh to viable companies. So so there's definitely an interest uh from the DFIs to help uh where possible. Uh but again I think the important issues in the companies that that uh that don't have solvency issues that it's more about liquidity.
1: Great, great good to know about the the collaboration amongst the DFI community yeah. it's helpful. Um, at this time of great need, um, Stephen. So, we—the word "unprecedented" has been used um, for this crisis because it's the most appropriate word. Um, we haven't seen anything like this before, for sure. Uh, but are there any lessons that can be learned from previous crises that we've been through, be it the GFC or anything? Anything that we you know—the takeaways and things that we could we could apply in this current circumstances? Yeah.
9: No. Thank you. Um, apologies if the audience isn't great, but I do think, uh, there are some key lessons take like global financial crisis as well as some other public health crisis, Ebola, um, and much like expectation that this will not, uh, this could be, I think so-
1: Sorry, Stephen, the sound quality is a bit poor. could you, I know you've talked about the Ebola crisis and other public health crises.
9: Um, I'll, I'll try and. Can you hear me slightly? My apologies for that. Um, I, I, I think it's important to understand that the impacts um, will be much longer lasting than uh, I think this results show. Um, I think from the other crisis. The, the, the recovery rates, um, are, you know, a match of the years, not much, um, so I think that's the first advice, which for crisis, is the time for recovery is much more than I think people are currently expecting. And um, I think, I think a, a lot has been said about the tactical short-term steps that companies take during crisis, whether it's creating optionality and and a breathing space for the companies, but I do also think it's really important um, that companies think the long term and how they're going to rebuild at the end of the crisis. Not taking steps today in the short term that will prevent them building uh, once the crisis. Crisis um, if you take measures like job retrenchment um, or you don't take uh, into consideration when you come to rebuild at the end, it's, it's much more difficult. So, you have to be very considerate the short term steps to make sure that when you're trying to rebuild the company at the end, um, you, you haven't done anything um, that's going to prevent you So I think that's a very important lesson that we've taken from other crises um, that short-term decisions shouldn't always um, be taken um, without long-term considerations taken into account.
1: Okay. Thank you for that, Stephen. The sound quality was not great, but we will see if we can get you on either through dialing in. But just to summarize, I think the key thing with you. Points that you are keeping. One of the key points we're making there is about the short-term risk. Making sure you're not taking short-term decisions that have um, greater long-term impacts that are irreversible or can be easily reversed. And um, so, there's time to be time for recovery. They're factoring in a time for recovery. I couldn't quite catch that being longer than might be anticipated and uh, uh, factoring that into the consideration. But we will try and bring you in on a, on a different line so that we can hear those valuable points more clearly. Thank you. Um, on that actually, so we've talked a little bit about um, LPs and the reviewing of some of the fundraising that, that might happen. Um, at this time, uh, can we assess what the risks of LPs defaulting are in the african p e industry is there a significant possibility of that happening as a result of the of the covid nineteen pandemic and Lynn is that something you can help us shed some light on
4: Yes, actually the the risk of default that when you have uh, the funds that are not so well capitalized and you have big shareholders, it could be preoccupying because if one defaults, you don't know if the other will be able to top up for them. So in this circumstances with the private equity in Africa being dominated by DFIs, I believe that this is a strong advantage that we may be difficult uh, sometimes, but one thing is for sure, we're not going to default on our capital calls. And, and, you know, I believe that this is a strong asset of the Africa uh, private equity. I, I, I think that, you know, we're a majority shareholder in funds and none of us ever uh, defaulted on their commitment. So I, I don't think it is a risk uh, for Africa right now.
1: So the more significant risk, I think, is being identified as just an adjustment to the timeline. Um, so for a DP who's out there fundraising currently, what sort of advice would we give in terms of an extension plan, what they should we be doing, looking at in terms of reviewing that? Um, Alison, what kind of advice are you giving to fund managers that are coming to Europe at this time?
5: I think that the the specific expectation will vary a lot um, as the fundraising period ranges quite broadly from one fund manager um, to the other. But again, I was surprised by only 16% of of GPs said that their LPs had paused uh, due diligence or or their plans to close the fund. Um, So I think my key advice here would be 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 in touch with your investors. We have seen a fund closing about a week ago, a subsequent close of a a fund uh, where we came into the second closing. We are working on financials of a a fund at this moment with other investors who've had their approvals in place for some time and that's still expected to close. Uh, So any work which can be done from desks, uh, through phones, uh, through email, I think is, is likely to proceed. Um, and in that specific case, as far as I know, we'll close uh, around the end of this month, as Um But we are also seeing that uh, LPs also have to do some triage on their pipeline and portfolio. And as Carola said, you know, this this is a bit of firefighting. So all investment staff are busy understanding what's going on in the portfolio. Where do we need to intervene? Um, where is additional capital or other kind of support uh, requested or required? And so, the bandwidth to devote to new opportunities will, by definition, um, be limited. So, I think the advice I would give to GPs is, is calibrate your communication well. Um, if you're if you're well down the path, it may well be that you can continue. It might slow down a bit. Um, if you're expecting, if you're a first-time fund manager or if you're working with investors that haven't invested with you in the past, they cannot travel. And... I've seen one case in my portfolio where we are proposing to do a virtual due diligence on a follow-on fund from an existing manager, uh, but we haven't yet got the IC approval to proceed like that. So that would really be exceptional, and that would be for a a longstanding trusted partner. Um, When you're bringing new investors and they cannot travel, it will delay your process. Um, And on the other hand, I think, you know, as always, when when you're dealing with potential investors, communication helps. Uh, don't bother people by mailing them weekly and say, you know, when are you coming and here's my update. Um, if you have got a thoughtful analysis of what's going on in your market, what's the impact um, either, you know, locally on your existing investments or on your pipeline, uh, something relevant to share with investors, you know, they will appreciate hearing from you. if It's got worthwhile information to share and, and on the off chance and, you know, don't overstate it, but on the off chance that, um this crisis provides some opportunity that's linked to the strategy that you were already marketing <laughs> or the capabilities which you have. You know, maybe there's an opportunity there, but again, don't oversell it and, and bear in mind that uh, all, of, all of the LP organizations, uh, or at least the ones with material existing exposure, are, are going to be stretched with uh, managing development in the existing portfolio. Okay. Great. And thank you for that advice. Um, Hello. Oh, no. so the, current,
1: the crisis actually is, in many ways, an ESG one. It was certainly an ESG-related one. Um, so, from that perspective, what really are the considerations that um, fund managers should be mindful of right now?
8: Uh, thank you for, for the question. I think uh, ESG is an important item that uh, everyone needs to, needs to keep in mind. And I, as was said earlier, uh, earlier on in this conversation, right, these are, these are unprecedented times. Uh, and, and all of the, at least the, the they are trying to work together to try to sort of help, uh, you know, help the markets that that we work in. And, and again, this is either through you know, cooperating together and so forth. But with regards to, to ESG standards, they're all uh, still extremely important and they all still need to be followed. So so while um, some of us are going to try to, as they do, a remote due diligence, as Allison was saying, sort of perhaps with a, with a trusted name or one that you know well enough, um, ESG is still important and we would still have to do that review and I think particularly in this time when there are a number of um, companies that are looking at, at perhaps um, reducing the, the staff that they have on hand, reducing hours or, or, or some sort of measures uh, to deal with costs, um, everyone needs to remember that, that FC performance standard number two need, needs to be followed. Um, so with a lot of the funds in this space, if you have uh, LPs uh, speak to them, they can help you with regards to what needs to be done with regards to performance standard number two and, and staff reduction. Um, there's also a number of resources available on, on, on the Internet as well. You can find it, I'm sure, on the, on the IRC website. I know uh, at CBC as well, they have a pretty good guide uh, as well, but, uh, but do check in uh, with, with your DFI LPs uh, and do remember that, that they're still that these standards are still very important to, uh, to us as, uh, as an LP community.
1: Right. Thank you. Not to lose sight of those ESD considerations right now. Um, and uh, Papa, so in your view, what would you recommend for GPs to be doing now, really, in, in Africa under this challenging? Period? What What advice would you give to them right now to to take to to be using to get through the period that we're currently in?
7: Uh. Uh, actually i uh, my 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 advice for 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 gp is to really look at their portfolio their portfolio and try to see what type of companies they have um basically um, they they should have some companies that will need uh more funds to beef up their production because their capacity, because their activity is at the heart of the fight against covid-19 if you're a GP and then you invest in a company making IV solutions, right now it is the time to make sure that this company can produce the maximum it can to cover for the needs of IV solutions. Um, if you have invested in a company which is building uh, hospitals uh, or health infra like we do in Senegal, you have to make sure that you are going to to let to accelerate. The construction that you are doing, and to make sure that you have the platform ready. So, um, and you can have a second type of companies where you you can you cannot do much. For example, if you invest in a in a in in a hotel, right now the hotel may be closing. So, or you have an airline, and you can use those tools to help the local government, the local health sector, uh, cater for the. Uh, for the Hill people, or use it to get some cargo from China, earlier, I talked that we are a sovereign wealth fund, so we are working rightly very closely with the health ministry, so we need the, we know the need so and no, so th- there are some private companies that can be useful in the fight in the fight against COVID. and the third type of companies you may have is companies that can change a little bit their business model to build the product actual and services that can be used. In this fight against COVID, I can give an example. If you invest in a in an in SME uh, making in a tailor tailoring SME, you know that with the crisis in China, we don't have any 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 materials. So you can turn out turn a little turn a little bit the business model and start making masks that can be useful to the community and that can help this company go through this that time. So. This is really important for the for the GP to look at their portfolio and see companies per company how they can adapt or how they can put more resources to some companies and at the same time make make them continue to work, but at the same time uh contribute to the fight against COVID.
3: Thank you for that, Papa. So to allow some
1: time, we've got some questions coming in from the audience um which we'd like to be able to address. So I will um, ask for some of these questions if possible. Stephen, could you please just tell us about some of the programs and initiatives that you're aware of that could support the GPs at
3: this time? Stephen, do you want to go first? I'll jump in after you.
6: Okay. Um, I'll go ahead. Maybe we lost Stephen. Um,
3: Stephen, are you there? Stephen,
6: are you able to? We can't hear you right now,
3: Stephen.
1: Okay, um, we will come back to Stephen. Um, Shruti, if you'd like to take that for now, we'll come back to Stephen on that.
6: Uh, sure, I mean, I, I think right now the people, most institutions are trying to figure out what kind of support they can offer in this crisis. Um, I think a number of institutions are trying to figure out uh, ways to support. I think the first uh, most asked for support, at least that we've seen across our portfolio, is working capital lines. Uh, the, the World Bank Group has been trying to figure out ways in which we can support our companies. We announced the $14 billion package two weeks ago, uh, focused both on our work through governments and, and also uh, work through uh, the IFC. Uh, our first phase of support is primarily focused on our direct investments. We're in the process of designing uh, support packages for our fund investments, and we're thinking about a whole range of solutions. And these are things that we're working together quite actively with with the other DFIs to see what makes sense, because a lot of these investments we're in together. Um, I, uh, I I think for, for fund managers, and this is the point I made earlier, it, it depends uh, very much on uh, where they are in their investment period because that that also gives them options to use tools that already exist in their wheelhouse, right? If you're early in your investment period, you haven't done a lot of investments, the impact on your portfolio is quite limited. It's perhaps create, created an opportunity for for you to, to buy at a better valuation. Uh, so if you're early in your investment period, I think it's much more thinking about you know what type of industries do you want to be exposed to? How how do you think about this opportunity in, in terms of your entry strategy? If you're in the middle of your portfolio period of your investment period, it's a little bit different because you're thinking about how do I make sure my companies don't struggle through this period? How can how can they access the the right kind of tools? How can they access working capital lines? How can they access um, input supplies? I mean. We have funds who are invested in hospitals and it's you know getting access to PPE equipped uh, uh, PPE in these markets has been quite challenging you know I, I get updates saying you know the hospital has one week left with PPE and we've been working quite hard with trying to to use our connections in in China to help our funds procure uh, products so so the different actions that uh, that are needed depending on where in the portfolio the funds are and then the last thing is when where, where funds are most challenged is when they're at the end of the investment period. And over there, I would encourage fund managers to see what can be done, right? Can they, can they increase their reinvestment limits? Uh, can they use the cash that's coming back to reinvest into some of the companies to think about how do they retain the TDPI on the, on the portfolio? Because the key thing you, you don't want happening is a good company losing value for a short-term downturn, right? And how, how does the GP help a company through that? Um, and and so, so I'd say talk to your LPs. You'd be surprised uh, the, the, the type of ways uh, in which LPs can try and support fund managers. We've seen a whole range of asks, from uh, credit lines, to fund top-ups, to opportunities funds, um, to sidecars to support certain Number of companies to co-investment opportunities, so GPs are being quite creative in um, in figuring out how they can better support their companies. We've seen the most activity in Asia since we're a global investor, and I think that's also because they have been dealing with the crisis the longest, and hopefully they are now on the other side of it or getting close to the other side of it. Um, and, and with with our fund managers in Africa, I think it's a little bit earlier in sort of the in assessing the impact um of COVID nineteen. Uh that's sort of my, my thoughts on uh on initiatives that fund managers can pursue.
1: The great point about just Asia being ahead on this and but there are clearly a lot of lessons that can be learned uh, from that the fact that and we can look to Asia to see um some takeaways from them emerging out of the, the crisis. and and um, how Africa can potentially deal with it as well. So thank you for that. So in the interest of time, we do have some really great and audience questions that I would like us to um, now go ahead to try and um, address. So um, moving on, I will select a few um, and give the um, the panelists the opportunity to to do, to you know come back with some responses to them. So I think on the point about you made um Shruti just now about good businesses suffering. Um, You're not wanting to see that. Someone's asked if um, strategic buyers could take advantage of this time to cherry pick and force the hand of GPs. And I think that's quite interesting. If you are coming to the end of your fund life and you were looking at exiting, is this a time for strategic buyers to kind of be opportunistic? Um, And what can be done about that? Um, And I will open it up to
3: the panel to see if they want to address that.
6: I can start, Anishan, and then people can jump in. Um, we have seen strategics pull away less from term sheets. Uh, we have seen a number of term sheets collapse uh, in the past three weeks. Um, so, so I think there's, you know, on both sides, yes, this can be an opportunity. But as I think Allison, I think it was Allison who said it earlier, that you know, sellers still think their company's worth as as much as it was before the crisis, and buyers. Mm. Think this is a buying opportunity, and I think we're definitely at that impasse uh, right
1: so, now. So about that gap between uh, the, yeah. the buy and sell is the pricing gap. So th-
6: another interesting
1: one about um, GPs dealing with foreign exchange issues in countries where we did see even before the um, the health crisis that impacted the oil price crisis and commodities prices having an impact on some of the African economies. So, what could um, GPs dealing with that for, for Forex issues uh, do in terms of local currency being devalued? Are there any effective hedging um, products that they have access to? And I think this is one actually, which we, we did look take a look at um, them. I,
2: sorry, I, I was in mute. I, I said I could, I could take it.
1: Um, sorry, is that Carola? Yes, that's there's, there's Carola. Okay.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that that's a very, very uh, critical question. As actually, we've really seen um, on the on the macro level, we've seen a lot of currencies uh, plunge, and we've we've also seen, uh, you know, downgrades of uh, countries, and we've seen, um, uh, and we're expecting debt restructuring on the on the on the um, you know level to happen so obviously currency is much affected and one of the exercises we're doing in in our portfolio is actually going through the portfolio companies and seeing really do, doing the, the the micro level analysis which ones are uh, exposed to uh hard hard currency debt debt because we do believe this is then accelerated risk and um yeah and how how what do we do with it i mean we all know that um hedging of 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 some of the the african uh, currencies which may be considered more exotic in the in the global capital markets is, is very, very expensive and not always easy because you, you you don't even find the um product in the markets. So I can really um just reiterate uh what, what was said before and, and what we encourage every GP uh to do, focus on 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 the, the very, very critical point of liquidity and the companies. Um, Analyse liquidity, create scenarios, uh, several scenarios of crisis, understand what what are the options of liquidity ranging from from debt, ranging from what was said before, cutting down on on, uh, non-core operations to reduce costs. And uh, uh, we can really urge focus on this and get in discussion very, very early with all stakeholders, all stakeholders, meaning um, this can be state programs, which do actually happen in in, in Africa. Um, uh, Get in touch with banks, discuss with them proactively, and get in touch also with what what Richard just said with, uh, with, with ULPs to discuss the situations.
1: Great. Thank you for that. Um, unfortunately I don't think we have enough time to take the rest of the questions, but we will look to put together some key findings and key insights from this. Um, um including those questions that we couldn't answer on this occasion. Um and we will be sharing more. Um and again, it's something we expect the COVID nineteen situation um to be with us for uh, its impact at least to be felt for, for some time to come. So we will be revisiting this topic. Um uh, we do have some forthcoming things, but I do expect that we will be reconvening um, a group to discuss this further down the line. But I'd like to thank the panelists very much at this time for their time for the great insights they've shared. Um, really appreciate and Thank you for, for have joined uh, to attend and listen to this.
0: Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca africaorg